back into Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show alongside Ryan LaVoy. I'm J.J. Jackson. We mentioned a moment ago, but all of our sports call callers and guests, they join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. They've been your hometown bank for over 110 years. You can visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. It's a busy time of year. As we mentioned, one week from today, we will be in Atlanta, Georgia, broadcasting live from SEC Media Days, which means the countdown is on. College football right around the corner for our Auburn Tigers, but still plenty of other sports going on, and we love following all of them, as does our next guest, a good friend of the program. It's Chuck Culpepper from the Washington Post back with us. Chuck, the time is always greatly appreciated. How's your summer been, my friend? Oh, it's been great. Good evening from Scotland. Yeah, they're up here in the northern latitudes where uh, sunset is just now happening around 9.30. It's unbelievable to uh, to be able to have this long distance of a phone call in, in 2022 and uh, be able to chat with you all the way from there as, as we get set for the British Open a little bit later this week. Well, Chuck, before we get there, I do want to talk about uh, another major sporting event that just concluded. We saw the Wimbledon Championships come and go and we saw Novak Djokovic walk away a winner of the men's title Uh, a lot of great columns from you about the events there with Wimbledon but uh, Novak Djokovic walking away a champion once again Chuck yeah I think but thank you for saying that and I think it was um I think it was really hard to do I think the fact that he's probably not going to get to play the U.S. Open and maybe the Australian Open next year um you know, made put a lot of pressure on that one event, and it's because you know his vaccination status and the policies in those con- in the U.S. and in Australia, those countries. But I think um, that put a lot of pressure on Wimbledon. So did sort of the year he's had, and so did trailing in his last three matches there by two sets, by one set, and by one set. And I think what that was was really a demonstration of one of the greatest athletes ever in the world, and that's probably not as appreciated as it should be because Federer and Nadal preceded him and everybody loved them already but he has really become just something to see in his composure and the way he solves problems on the the fly out there. And I think we saw a a really fascinating uh, tournament overall, Chuck, because I mean we we saw Nick Kyrgios, just everything that that he is, is he as it's just a whole experience to watch him try and get through a four or five set match. We saw uh, Rafael Nadal uh, be able to uh, win a quarterfinal on a, a what was it a, a torn abdomen muscle. Um, I mean, what did you make of Nadal's performance, uh, and what did you make of of just the Nick Kyrgios spe- spectacle? So for Nadal, I think the thing we, you know, with his withdrawal was probably for some of us who he's made us used to the fact that he can overcome, you know, most anything with all the toll he's put on that body through the years because of the way he plays. You know, it's very, you can just, you can just feel the bones and joints, you know, groaning, you know, in, in that, that aggressive way that he plays, the compelling way that he plays. Um, so I think maybe a little surprised I remember that day last Thursday I guess it was waiting all day and thinking yeah he might withdraw and suddenly there's this press conference announced for 7.15pm Wimbledon time you're like okay he is going to withdraw because that could be the only reason for that so what we what we want to think about in that instance is the 2009 US Open which he brought up 
uh, last year at some point, and he said that he had a six-inch, I think it was a six, sorry, six-inch, six-millimeter tear in his abdomen at the beginning and a 26-millimeter tear at the end, and he considered that a mistake, you know, that he wanted to learn from, and I think withdrawing was the example of that he learned from that. And then Kyrgios, you know, I've just never known totally what to make of it. Um, it's always noisy. It was it had a great quotient of noise over achievement until this tournament. I think he put it together to some degree, and he was great in the final, and he absolutely belonged there. And and he really made Djokovic prove how you know just how unflappable and and impenetrable, and you can't rattle him. Uh, just how how much Djokovic has all those features going for him and you know the other thing when you're walking out there is Djokovic does for a 32nd Grand Slam final and the other guys in his first that matters a little bit too uh, absolutely and uh, with Kyrgios it just always seemed like the talent's there but can he just ever come up with the composure to get to that point we finally saw him as you said in his first Grand Slam final I want to ask you too on the uh, on the women's side of things we, we saw the return of, of Serena Williams um, we don't know how much more time if at all we have of, of seeing her play tennis I, I guess at this point and uh, I guess my question to you is like we, we've been so spoiled by her over the last decade and a half really both Williams sisters for that matter uh, you know Coco Goff is obviously an emerging star uh, Naomi Osaka has has been wonderful, but has not played as much or as well recently. Like like who uh, for, for the fans of the, of the women's draw? Who is the next person to kind of lead the way? I think the sport got hard to follow to some degree in recent years because there were so many people you had to follow, and maybe people don't have unless they're really nuts about it. They don't have time to follow. There was so much excellence throughout that sport, you know, and you could. You had all the, I think it's 14 different players win the last 21 slams, I think it is. And, you know, you had, but but then I think the player we, to focus on now is, is Igos Siantek. I can spell it better than I can say it <laughs> from um, Poland. She won the French again this year. She's won it twice. And she's a runaway number one at this point. Um, and I think just as far as, uh, as you know, she she really is somebody who kind of gave the whole thing form. You know, we this, that sport used to have a long time ago Navratilova and Everett at the top, those two, and then Graf and Sellis, and then the Williamses came along. And there's always some definition there, you know, uh, people you could could kind of follow. And I think she's that. I think you know Graf was not her best surface, and she lost in the third round. But I think. Uh, she, the year that she had the 37 match winning streak that preceded that across six, seven tournaments, I think she's, you know, she's the one for me who kind of gives it some form now. Chuck Culpepper is our guest with the Washington Post. He's on Twitter at Chuck Culpepper One. It's a good way place to go to see all his stories. All right, so you're talking to us uh, from Scotland, and the Open Championship is a big event uh, that we love following. 150 years worth celebrating what's taken place, and at the old course, I mean, what's it like, Chuck, to to actually get to see a setting like that with your own eyes there in person? That's a great question because I was just walking uh, back back beside it. Uh, from the work area to my room and it's 
it, it, I have been here once before, but never to an open year. So it is, it just has this magic look to it that I really can't explain. It's like you can feel the history, feel the years, the birthplace, all that kind of thing. And I think it strikes everybody that way. Just, just kind of looking at the contour of it as I walked along, it was, sun was still out and just thinking, my goodness, I can almost feel the centuries, you know? <laughs> and so, and, and so the fact that it's 150 this time is a huge, huge deal here. And that number is everywhere. It's on T-shirts. It's painted into the seats in the stands. It's on signs. It's, it's just, it's such a big, important deal here that it's, a, that it's the 150-year mark. You feel that everywhere. Yeah, I mean, the, the entire logo's been kind of rebranded with that 150, and obviously a big trophy being played for at the end of the week. And, and we see Tiger Woods is getting to be a part of competition uh, and, and making some comments about current state of golf as it's going with some other upstart tours taking place. We, we've talked a lot about the Live Tour, the LIV Tour, uh, and, and, and Tiger Woods got to speak publicly about that as well chuck fill us in yeah i think that to me sitting in that room this morning i thought he sounded more like a golf statesman than he ever has i thought you know he's 46 now he has a view he has experience he's earned his his words and all of that and and just the calm way that he stated his case and it was critical of Norman of and of the players who and he said he just still does not understand the players who've gone over to the LIV tour and he so he I just thought he sounded it, there was you know when when it really started to, when that tour the Saudi tour really started to uh, to gain ground was at the U.S. Open last month that was when we were starting to hear about more and more players going and uh, the U.S. Open of course lacked. Tiger's voice because he wasn't in it. And I don't think it would have changed anything, but listening today made me think of of how uh, maybe the U.S. Open setting uh, could have benefited from having his voice there. Players like John Rahm and Rory McIlroy were certainly uh, eloquent and, and insightful in, in saying why they're not going to leave. Um, but I just think Tiger's voice the gravitas or whatever word we want to call it just added something today it really did and, and Chuck I do want to ask you another t- Tiger question in just a second but I want to stay on the LIV tour for, for now and like this it's, it's such a weird situation with golf right now because everyone has always followed and loved Tiger here for the last two decades plus he's been the most influential influential golfer probably of all time um, but you now have this secondary competitor uh, that seems to be clouding the sport a little bit. Like, where is the sport of golf right now? Is it in a healthy state, or or, or what needs to happen to start to get it back into a healthier state? He thinks it's in a really healthy state because he thinks that the young people coming up are just so, so good. And that's true if you look at players like Zalatoris, you know. Um, they're good at younger ages. I have thought that it's a, I, that it's in some kind of state that I would worry about. In that, I just when I'm out at the and I go, when, you know, at the tournaments, major tournament. I was thinking the one in Tulsa this year, the PGA, and just sometimes I just stand among the crowd and I just don't think 
there are enough players who are that the public really recognizes you know again except as we were saying with tennis except for the the real nuts and i think about that excellent beer commercial that's peyton manning in the bowling alley you know and it's got jimmy butler it's got <laughs> alex morgan and brooks kepka is in there and i when i watch that commercial i always think that's one of the best golfers we've ever had and i'm not really sure what would the percentage of the public who who knows who that is over there at the pool table in the in the bowling alley? You know, um, how many how many people in the public would know who that is? And I, I just have worried that you know, in part it was Tiger's fame so recognizable, Jack and Arnie before that, Phil Mickelson to some degree, more limited than those others. But I just think I, I thought it was really entering this phase where. Again, like like I was saying, the women's tennis, so many players to follow, so many guys who can win, so many different major winners. And I think from a general public standpoint, that can be, you know, kind of kind of hard to follow. I don't know how that would affect a game long term. So I, I have I have wondered about that if 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 the stars are big enough, you know, I've, I have wondered about that. Sure. And, and so to, to ask you more, uh, again, another Tiger question, um, you know, this guy, obviously we, we know the credentials, but we also know the last decade plus marred with all kinds of issues on and off the course with a body yeah. that's just beaten up at this point at age 46. Like, I understand why he's doing it this year. He, he, he obviously wants to come back. He... Uh, has this in, insatiable drive to him and, and wanting to play this tournament too and, and the history at St. Andrews is, is obvious but like assuming no more major injuries to the degree we saw in the car incident or an ACL or that sort of thing like how much longer do you think this guy can keep pushing himself to play this sport yeah he likes to say he has hardware in his leg he uses that you know that that term a lot um I I think that with the schedule that he has, which is, you know, not going to be uh, very extensive, than just the, just the majors, and of course, he just adores this place. He wasn't going to miss this one if if at all possible. So, um, I I could see him going into his fifties. And today, today he broached by this topic. <laughs> He's just talking about how Tom Watson, uh, you know came to the 72nd hole at the 2009 Open in Turnberry and was leading by one shot when he got there, you know, at age 59. And, and I noticed that Tiger brought that up, and I was thinking, well, that's, that is how he thinks, you know. Now, how realistic is that going to be? 59 seems a little extreme to me, but I think I get a sense he does think that if he got to one of these courses like Augusta or this one, that he understands so well in his bones and as he said that the fairways are so firm here that the old guys can you know can bump and run they can you know get more distance out of it you know um i i'm gonna say that it's not gonna surprise me to see five or ten more years because if his body had been um you know intact and not have hardware in it and so on i think he was going to be that player who was going to uh, extend the career, the, our perception of the career of golfers. You know all the things that he, had, all the care that he had taken of himself, and so on. I thought 
before all this happened, that, you know, that this guy, Nicholas, once finished fifth in the Masters at age 58. I thought that was going to be this guy, maybe even at 60. Who knows? I don't think that anymore because it's too much on the body, as you say. But it, it's not going to surprise me to see another five or ten years. Chuck Culpepper is our guest here today on Sports Call. Chuck writes for the Washington Post, and you can follow his work on Twitter at ChuckColpepper1. Let's let you get out of here with this. It's it's getting to be bedtime there in Scotland, and again, the time is always so greatly appreciated. Who are some of the favorites to watch this week as the Open Championship uh, opens up play coming Thursday? I think, I I always think, well, Colin Morikawa won it last year. Um, it was incredible. He's played it only once. And he won it, um, and so uh, I. But I'm not. I guess we're, we're, a lot of us aren't really looking at him this time because, as a potential winner, because he hasn't been in this great form. He's been confused about cuts and draws, and he talks about that a lot. So I, I just, I bring up John Rahm sometimes. I bring up Xander Shelfley because I think um, that guy. You know, we all know he's. He's been like on TV on Sunday in majors all the time for right. five years now, and and you would think he's going to win one somewhere. And just won the Scottish Open here, always a good sign. Um, that's the one that I would look at m- most closely. And I'm, I think a lot of people think highly of him as a person too. And <clears throat> I was there when he won the Olympics in Tokyo, and it was an emotional thing. And uh, I, that's that's my pick. Love it. Love it. We'll be following and reading your work the whole time. Chuck, thank you so much again. It means a lot that uh, anytime you're on the program, but even more so today uh, when you're all the way across the pond, as they say there in Scotland. Thanks for joining us on the show, Chuck. Thanks so much for having me. And is it really true that football media days are next week? Next yes. week. Yeah, <laughs> next week. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, I'm over here. I've been over here a long time. I heard that. USC and UCLA went to the Big Ten, but I know that's not true. That was something lost that went in the, over the ocean, right? <laughs> yeah, you're going to get back, and it's going to be a whole new college athletics world that we'll be able to chat with you and uh, when your feet get back settled. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank Absolutely. You so Thank you. That's our good buddy, Chuck Culpepper, with the Washington Post.